0: Hello! Welcome to XR Star, your monthly podcast where we talk all things extended reality and the metaverse. I'm your host, futurist Amelia Coleman. So, Monday was Valentine's Day, and I planned to take my husband to this pop up, tech enabled, immersive experience in Piccadilly Circus as a special Valentine's Day surprise. Except the more I read about this experience and saw photos, the more excited I got and I couldn't contain myself and I had to let the surprise out of the bag. Completely ruined it. But I have to say, I'm happy to report that the experience did not disappoint. So much so that I'm actually devoting an entire episode to it. Something my loyal listeners know is not the normal format. But I love so much about this project. It has 5G, it has holograms, it has location-based tracking, augmented reality, AV integration, and most of all, it has a super important message. And I can't imagine a better way to deliver that message than through the technology the project uses. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, it's the Green Planet AR experience with David Attenborough, powered by EE 5G and produced by the immersive entertainment and storytelling studio Factory 42 in partnership with BBC Studios. If you live in the UK, then I don't need to tell you that Sir David Attenborough is a national treasure. He's 95 years old, he's been the voice and presenter on nature and wildlife for the BBC since the 1960s, and he is a world leading environmental activist. He is the nation's grandfather. We all love him over here. And if you haven't seen shows like The Blue Planet, Frozen Planet, or The Green Planet, I recommend you check them out. The interactive adventure takes place at 55 Regent Street, right in Piccadilly Circus, London. It offers visitors a window into the secret kingdom of plants through an immersive augmented reality journey accompanied by a virtual David Attenborough transformed into a 3D hologram. Guests walk through six digitally enhanced worlds, including rainforests, freshwater and saltwater worlds, the changing seasons in desert landscapes, culminating in the human story and how we can all affect positive change. It's free to attend. I believe it's currently sold out, but I wouldn't be surprised if the project tours. I'll have to ask my guest about that in a minute. But for me, this is the best example I've seen to date of technology being deployed to create real impact, wonder, and discovery for visitors of all ages. It left an emotional impact that is hard for me to imagine being achieved in any other way. All of this said, I have a ton of questions about how this groundbreaking project was delivered. And lucky for me, I actually know one of the incredible brains and visionaries behind it. So it is my pleasure to welcome Jamie Davies, creative director of Factory 42. Hi, Jamie.
1: Hello, what an intro. Wow. Hello. How are you doing? You right.
0: I'm um, great, and I'm so pleased Good. to to connect with you and to be able to talk to you about this project. Um, I know you know that I was blown away by it, and um, always impressed with your work. But this one really, uh, really is a bit legendary. So um, you should be really proud of yourself.
1: Bless you. You're very kind. Yes, we're, we are. We're, we're very proud. Um, it seems to be hitting a bit of a sweet spot, which is um, what we hoped. So yeah, it's it's been a quite a moving experience. To say the
0: least. Yeah, I really want to dive into it and hear all about it, but just to begin, um, do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners, a bit about your background and your role at Factory 42?
1: Sure. Uh, yes, I am Jamie, the Creative Director at Factory 42. Uh, I've been a Creative Director probably for, oh God, probably about 20 years, uh, maybe more now, which is a bit scary um and i guess my background it was sort of traditional kind of creative directory stuff and i did stuff in music and audio and and bits and pieces with brand films and all kinds of uh stuff like that back in the day and then i guess probably it was probably around 2015 that i started to get much more into digital and and immersive tech and digital roles in agencies and started to do sort of quite uh weird and wonderful experimental things with um I did all sorts of fun projects, but that, yeah, that kind of started in 2015. I think I've been a sort of lifelong tech nerd and computer gamer. And then, um, kind of coupling that with my lifelong nature obsession, this role when it came up at factory 42 was a bit of a no brainer, to be honest with you. It was like, it was like it was sort of written for me in the stars. I was like, right, this is it. I am. This is, this is me. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I started at Factory 42 and, and just just CD there. So heading up everything creative um, from sort of concept to delivery for the Green Planet project and, and other fun stuff as well that I probably can't discuss quite now. But yeah, other stuff that's waiting in the wings.
0: Maybe on a future episode. Um, so with the Green Planet project, um, I know this was a long time in the making and um, I wonder if you can tell us how long it actually took and what the actual initial brief was that you responded to
1: yeah so it, yeah it was a while in the making but you know what i like I, honestly i think we sort of pulled a lot of rabbits out of a lot of hats on this one and and it like, i was on the project for j- just shy of 14 months um and I actually i think i think we probably did about 2 years worth of work in that in that time I, you know i think that's actually not too bad for a project of this scale, from from inception right the way through to delivering it. And in terms of sort of the brief and, and what started, I mean that it, it sort of started slightly before my time. And John, the the CEO of Factory Forty Two, I know that he was he, you know he was instrumental in pulling this pretty phenomenal consortium together of BBC Earth um BBC studios ee you know dimension studios tailsmith, all these kind of incredible people in there you know who are sort of top of their game and pulling them all together to do this sort of dcms you know government funded project that that's kind of i, I think i think the original ambition was to be this this sort of ultimate use case and and, and a really good um sort of proof of concept it's an r and d thing really for for 5g um and 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 when I was contacted about it, it was literally, I think a sort of one page brief of, look, we want to do something to do it with the environment, with sustainability. Sir so David Attenborough is doing a new show. He's, he's an incredible innovator. So he's interested in reaching new audiences and other ways that we can engage people. It, it might be at Kew Gardens, who by the way are another partner in all this. Um, it, you know, There might be something at Kew, we're not sure. He might appear as a hologram as a volumetric capture we're not quite sure we don't quite know what visitors are going to do um so and and that was kind of it it was literally this sort of one-page brief we had all these phenomenal partners that knew that they wanted to do something uh and then and then it was sort of passed over to me to go okay so what is it what you know what are we going to do and then and then it was the, the start of the sort of concepting work and and having to pitch and present all of that to all of that consortium, as well as Sir David Attenborough, as well. So, um, yeah, that was that was way back when. Yeah.
0: Well, and for our listeners, can you explain a bit about what the hardware and technology we're talking about is in the actual experience, and kind of what the customer journey is?
1: I mean, in terms of the hardware, like the the, the whole central thing, because it is a five G. 5G- project we knew that it had to be through mobile phones and and a lot of people have been you know mentioning well you know it could have been vr it could have been this it could have been that but we knew it had to be through through the mobile phone and the mobile phone is 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 something that you know intrigued the consortium and certainly intrigued sir david a lot because that's where a lot of people spend a lot of their time so if we could captivate and capture people through that little you know rectangle we knew that we were onto something um, so really really the heart the hardware is um you know we we did it on a samsung s21 with a selfie stick uh with a pair of noise cancelling headphones and that's the i guess that's the i mean inverted commas the code team will probably kill me but that's the sort of easy bit if you like and then and then the sort of tougher bit around all of this was creating this standalone 5g network built we literally built a standalone network in what you know 55 regent street in a grade one listed building that's part of the crown estate uh which you know i had no part in and i will take no credit for there was some phenomenal engineers and people from ee and and factory 42 that sort of pulled all that together um and that you know that is what enables it to run in real time you know up to 50 people at a time interacting viewing sort of eye-wateringly beautiful graphics and spatial audio uh, you know, all all interacting in their own way, at, you know, at their own pace, which is sort of, it's kind of mind blowing when, when you see it. Um, and it, I, I think it's a bit of a glimpse into the not too distant future, you know.
0: I, I mean, I was really impressed. I... I, I love the selfie stick you called it because there was a bit of haptic feedback on it too, which I thought was really cool. And in these different spaces, I think I mentioned in the opening, there were six. And as you look around, different portals open up. So you go, you're transported from your physical environment into underwater, into looking up from the ground to see the roots of the trees and um, and all these kind of things that you can't do in physical life. And it really brought it to life. And I loved that there were other people in the room and we were in a way a part of each other's experience because you could still see each other through the, through the camera as well as in real life. And then, you know, I took some, some pictures of my husband stood next to David Attenborough and, um, and it was just, it was really, uh, a, a lovely kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, and so
1: just to sort of jump in on that point that, I mean, that is something that we are phenomenally proud of. Um, and, and, you know that i think as you i could probably talk about the user journey for the for the whole hour if you know really but it's it's something that was such an incredible challenge and to get that narrative right and that storytelling right and how we breadcrumb people through the experience, but, you know, you should feel like you're free to explore and discover at your own pace with Sir David as your personal guide. But we're also gently nudging you through because we've got to get throughput, right? We need, we want to get as much people seeing this as humanly possible. So there is a very delicate balancing act that was that was written and crafted throughout all that, that you know, that we're super proud of, as well as this very kind of intuitive, lovely UI that you know this lovely user interface that basically we we've seen and I've sort of stood and watched people with kind of you know slightly misty eyes because because I've been so happy that I've seen sort of five six year olds use it with their grandparents so it's this cross generational moment and as you said having that shared experience where you're stood next to people so you're you're in your own journey but you've got you've got people around you and it's it, I don't know there's there's a real connecting warmth about that that I I, I think it's just lovely
0: Absolutely. And it was so smart going with the mobile phone because everybody, like you said, children, grandparents, everybody knows how to use it um, and kind of is comfortable with it already. Um, Were there things that you tried or envisioned that you thought were going to work that ultimately you found out didn't work? Was there anything that you had to kind of throw away in the process?
1: Yeah, Uh, again, I could probably talk about that for the whole hour. Um, I think, you know, it's... I mean, you, you know, it's like with these sort of, with, with these projects and you're doing R and D and tech innovation and stuff. Yeah. Like <laughs> pretty much every few weeks, there would be something where we're like, oh, okay, so that's not going to happen. Um, pivot, we need a pivot, um, you know, and, and sort of fit, it was constant sort of problem solving. And I think, you know, we, like I said, we knew it had to be a mobile experience, but from where it started with it might be something at kew gardens hang on a minute no it might just be something in piccadilly circus but sort of outside hang on a minute no it might be a touring thing that happens in shipping containers no that can't work and then you know this sort of whole thing unfurled and then we got this opportunity to do it at at 55 regent street you know in this incredible building well okay well we know we've got to do that and you know again in all the user testing because it's again because of as you can imagine working with the bbc accessibility has got to be exceptionally high so we had to test with partially sighted you know people who are deaf people in, you know in wheelchairs we really had to get an ex- a universal experience as much as possible for everyone and you know again multiple tests but we ended up with that kind of selfie stick approach because the whole mechanism really is supposed to be you're looking through this looking glass and using that really dynamically and 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 Ultimately, that's that's what sort of won out. But yet there were, I can't tell you how many user testing sessions we had and and um, head scratching and uh, possibly slight panics. But um, we got there.
0: Yeah. And um, and was augmented reality and the hologram of David Attenborough. Was that there from the beginning or was that something you came to?
1: No, so that was kind of I guess that was the sort of real consistent thread. So we, you know, we knew Sir David was was really interested in the project, and when we started talking to him and sort of pitching him early concept drawings and taking him through what might be happening and and how we could build you know build on the incredible um, TV show but an, enable people to step inside it and maybe have slightly different experiences, he got really excited. Um, and you know that's when we sort of knew okay yeah he's he's both feet in he's 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 really you know you could see he was just sort of fizzing with ideas about all this so I think once that happened and we and we knew we definitely had access to 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 David and he was up for the Volcap session um, which uh, was done at Dimension Studios which is incredible but it was sort of an industrial estate um, in the back end of nowhere so he's probably you know David's used to being in Alaska or the rainforest or something, we took him to an industrial estate. Bless him, but he was very good about it, um, and uh, yeah, he was ju- he was just incredible. He got it. He just because he's done stuff like that before, right? With with VR, with, you know, Factory Forty Two did something called Hold the World way before my time with him in VR, and he's obviously done those amazing things at the Natural History Museum where he's pretending to see a you know extinct animal and stuff. So he 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 gets it, and uh, and that you know that was the red thread through it all
0: yeah yeah I wanted to ask you how what it was like to work with him and also if it was different kind of working with a celebrity client than than working with a
1: non-celebrity client i got I gotta say like and I you know I'm a I'm an Attenborough sort of diehard devotee so um and and I have been since I was three so when I told my mum about this project originally. She was just, oh my God. You know, just the sort of absolutely over the moon um that I would get to to potentially meet him. And I did. Uh, and I met him on Zoom a few times and then met him in the flesh. And uh so he is everything that we sort of hope that he is. Um and probably a bit more. So you know, zero entourage turns up with his wonderful daughter, Susan, in a sort of second hand car. Um, you know covered in the, the cars sort of covered in twigs and stuff and he just, you know he's, he wants to meet everyone of which we had to be very careful because it was you know c- sort of COVID time so everyone had to be mega mega tested and we had to be extremely cautious of course being that he is the you know the world's greatest national treasure but he's just interested and he wants to chat and he wants to go through and, and, and you know it was incredible because myself and a, and a couple of my colleagues uh, worked on the script for him. So we did a sort of probably about 20 pages of script and, um, but he'd gone through it all. He had notes, he had thoughts. He was like, you know, Jamie, would you mind if I say, I like, oh, like, David, please, if you want to change anything, you go for it. I'm not, there's no way I'm going to say, no, you can't change that. David, please say my words. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was, it was crackers. And, and, because he's vegetarian, and you know, quite a lot of us on the shoot are vegetarian. And, you know, I sort of proudly turned up in my electric car, thinking, you know, he's gonna he's gonna give me extra brownie points for that. Um, and we had this beautiful sort of vegetarian. Yeah, quite high-end sort of banquet laid on for him and bless him, he just took he looked at it and just went, Oh, I am so sorry. Would you would you mind if I just had a cheese sandwich? And we were just like, Oh, yep, yeah, absolutely, crackling on the radios, get, get David a cheese sandwich, for God's sake. Uh so there's a sort of <laughs> hurried rush to get David a cheese sandwich. But it, the most humble, lovely, intelligent man, and we uh, you know, and we thought we were gonna have him just for a few hours and he grafted. He was like, No, 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 every take, he was like, I can do better than, better than that. Give me a second, and he just he just wanted to deliver gold dust and it you know and, and he does and it and it was I think everyone that day you know everyone was very misty eyed looking at the monitors, and it was a bit of a pinch me moment,
0: oh, it sounds amazing, and I'm so glad to hear that you know I feel a bit misty eyed just hearing <laughs> about it. <laughs> Um, I know that a lot of our listeners are involved in the AV world and AV integration, and you got to do something that I think a lot of people aspire to, which is um, there was, to celebrate the opening, there was a Green Planet Experience um, billboard on Piccadilly's famous curved screens. So what was that like? And can you explain a bit what it looked like and what was involved in that?
1: Yeah, that, I, I, again, that was quite nuts. I mean, there have been so many pinch me moments on this project that I said, so, you know, if I pinch myself anymore, I, I mean, like it's it's <laughs> it's been it's been mad. I mean, it really has. But I, I, I like so. I, I mean, full credit to to BBC and the BBC creative, um, you know, the BBC Studios creative team for that. Um, they were they were amazing, and and it. I think it was born out of a very brief conversation between me and and, and Mons, who's the marketing director at, at the BBC, and and uh, you know I think John at, at Factory Forty Two had identified that we might have we might have an opportunity to do something on the Piccadilly screens, and then the sort of conversations unfolded. You've got to bear in mind at the same time as this, we're sort of we're building the set, uh, we're doing user testing, we're building the app, and then all of a sudden it's like oh by the way there's possibly a Piccadilly Screens takeover as well at the same time. And I was just like, I don't know, I don't know how much more we can go, go with this (laughs) is going mad. Um, So, you know, um, Mons and the BBC creative team sort of picked that up and, and ran with it after sort of kicking around a few ideas with me on a, on a zoom call one afternoon. And the next thing I knew they were, they'd done this kind of whole storyboard and this, this whole piece and, taken this animation and and you know got got all the storytelling nailed and um you know i I can't sort of claim to know exactly what happened behind the scenes but i know there was a lot of a lot of work that went on Um, and it was just this incredible moment in time where we all walked out of the green planet ar experience and uh, at five o'clock on the day that it was due to show we had this 20-minute takeover And all of the, you know, all that whole mass of screens with all those different um, advertisements on just stopped. And then you've just got this gigantic David Attenborough sort of looking at us all. Um, And then this kind of beautiful story starts to unfurl. Uh, as then you get this lovely, you know, that sort of lovely anamorphic sort of lenticular moment where all those plants and stuff sort of grow. They look like they're growing out of the concrete and taking over that entire space uh, with this kind of beautiful story and beautiful messaging about how important plants are, how how many of them are now endangered and, and what we should, could do to to sort of live more symbiotically and more closely with with our plant allies, because without them, you know we're 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 doomed they they're they're everything and as david says in the show they're responsible for the air we breathe the water we drink and the food we eat so there was this sort of incredibly powerful message and just watching piccadilly circus it literally came to a standstill and they had this amazing um flower artist who took over eros with all these kind of beautiful actual flowers that sort of grew and unfurled through eros and actually people could take those away and plant them in their own gardens as well so it was this kind of I think as I have said to a few people, it was the best launch moment that we could ever have wished for for the experience. And and again, watching Piccadilly Circus come to a standstill, I think, you know, it was the impact that that we all wanted. So again, you know, I stood there with tears running down my cheeks. I'm an absolute sensitive softy, so
0: <laughs> Oh bless. Yeah, it sounds like something right out of a movie, you know it's so famous and so it iconic was. those screens it's uh it
1: was yeah. yeah it really was
0: so i wanted to ask you if i had one criticism it would be that at the end of this experience nobody hit me up for a donation and i was like ready to sign my firstborn away you know <laughs> so um <laughs> was that an active choice not to ask for donations and then also you know if people do want to donate, like I'm ready to donate still, Where would, where is there a preferred <laughs> charity that we should give to?
1: Yeah, it's uh, Jamie Davies. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so no, it's, um, it's, it, 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 so yes, basically I agree with your criticism and I know that everybody in the consortium would agree with that. Basically, I think sort of probably page three of, or page three or four, literally it was the title page, sort of, initial concept and then literally the next or the or the fourth page off that was you know how do we make this meaningful and and how do we sort of fuel charitable con- contributions and all, and all that kind of stuff very early days in in the whole proposition um and long story short the reason that we didn't do it was because of sort of um bbc um there's lots of kind of restrictive covenants and poll and all there's all kinds of things that that come to bear that that mean that it was very 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 challenging to tie our flag to any particular specific charity and it, it, it i think because it you know it had to be sort of fair and broad-reaching and all the rest of it so it was actually a very very difficult thing to do politically um and so it, it became actually a little bit too difficult and and untenable. So sadly, we had to kind of move away um, from doing that. Which was a re- it was a real um, yeah it was it was it was quite painful for all of us to to make that decision because as you said, I think getting people through that experience and getting them so inspired and so motivated and then not allowing them to make a a mean a really meaningful sort of contribution or a fiscal contribution. Um, was a bit of a shame on the launch day. We, you know, the, um, BBC, Earth did have like, um, packets of wildflower seeds with specific instructions of where to plant them and all that kind of stuff. So there, there were little activations that happened. It was just, it proved too difficult to, you know, tie it all to one specific charitable organization.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and thank you for sharing that. Um, you spoke a bit about challenges. Was there an overarching challenge that, I mean, was, was it COVID? I mean, what, what do you think was the big, <laughs> the C word, not Boris. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> was, what was the biggest challenge working on this project?
1: Oh man. Um, again, that's an, inc- <laughs> that's an incredibly difficult question to answer. I was, you know, cause you, I, without exaggerating there's probably you know anywhere between 10 and 50 challenges on a daily basis where you have to make quite tough you know creative calls or, or various calls based on sort of new constraints and new information you know sort of case in point the, the thing i just mentioned about sort of charity which is quite a tangible one but you know there were there were from the sort of mini to the to the massive uh there were challenges really on a daily basis and and just sort of going quickly into that covid point you know when i when i joined factory 42 and I, and I was sort of getting very effervescent and excited about this project and i sort of like okay well you know we need to engage people but it's, it's digital plants through a phone or oh, how are we going to do that and you know we really really got to try and build empathy and emotionally move people you know what a challenge and then i sort of started to think I want, I was sort of coining this possibly slightly silly phrase, but I was sort of talking to the team about this naturalistic UI and I wanted, I didn't want there to be any sort of mobile tropes of like buttons on screen and things that people have to push and do, you know, I wanted to get rid of all that and try and create this, just a lens into the natural world. And just simply through your movement, you can make things grow and you can affect change. And one of them was, um, very early on, I wanted literally your breath, your, your own sort of you, I wanted you to be able to breathe life into these scenes. So by using your, your breath and sort of blowing, you you could disperse wildflower seeds and you could see sort of wonderful things happen. And that was actually in the build when we recorded Sir David Attenborough. So I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of the experience, he says, now blow on your screens and send these seeds out into the world. Um, and up until quite late on, when we had to make a tough call because of COVID, we were like, oh, people just aren't going to be comfortable blowing on the screens and, you know, they're not like germs and all the rest of it. And we, t- we, t- we t- were taking hygiene exceptionally seriously at the, at the event. And there's amazing cleaning and all, all kinds of stuff that goes on with the devices, but we're just like, this is not going to work. So we had to, you know, make the decision to can that and go a different, a different UI route. But, um, I think you can possibly still maybe we switched off the microphone but you know all the code code team figured that out and and implemented it so that's what i mean about all the time they were like we've got to change this we've got to pivot on that we've got to backpedal on that a bit or dial that bit up so it you know it was an amazing team effort to see everybody just passionately heads down trying to crack all of these tough problems on a daily basis
0: yeah. Yeah. And that's incredibly inspiring because obviously this did take a huge team to to put this all together and to make that vision come to life. And kind of along the lines of that, for other kind of brands who maybe are thinking about doing immersive experiences or even integrators who want to maybe get into this space, do you have any kind of advice that you would give them in kind of executing immersive experiences? Is there any big kind of lesson that you think you can share that you learned?
1: That's a, that's a good question. It's a tough question as well. I think, cause this, this, I mean, this, this project was a bit of a beast and, you know, and it, and it, it was, it was big, you know, big brands, big partners, you know, brand new technology, uh, an absolute national treasure, you know, sort of stuff that no one's seen before. So, uh, and as you said that, that it was, that really was down to the team, you know, and it was recognizing that no one person could do it on their own and it was and it was sort of putting putting hands up and admitting where where the sort of strengths began and ended and where you needed other partners to bring that vision to life and I think that there was an incredible um, amount of just passion and goodwill and all that sort of stuff across across the consortium that that made it happen and it wouldn't have happened without that uh, and compromises being made and egos being sort of put to bed and all that sort of stuff, you know, people just had to, you know, that you sort of, you just, you were all in in together and it didn't sort of matter how big or how small the brand was, you had to just figure it out. And that was really impressive and beautiful to see. So team, you know, it sounds a bit of a, an old cliche, but to, you, you, you know, I don't think any one company can do this stuff on their own, and it is teamwork, and it is you know, with immersive tech and pulling off really good, interesting, exciting, new experiences, you need to partner with with really great people, and and um, you know, just be prepared to 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 kind of properly work on it together. And then, in, I mean, it's it's impossible to say much more advice than that because I think every project is probably so different. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't know quite where to start, but I think it's it's understanding that most companies and most brands can't do it on their own, and I think you know brands not being sort of brandy about it would is a great start, and, and deferring sometimes to the knowledge of the of the tech guys, you know, who do it day in day out, I think is a really great start, and it was it, that happened on this, and it was beautiful
0: yeah I think that's such a great point and to me that's really at the heart of the metaverse and XR and uh, you know knowing where your where your talents and your skills start and where they stop and also who to turn to and who to talk to because if if XR and if immersive experiences and the metaverse are really going to take off and become part of our everyday lives then you know no one company can do it together and um, I absolutely agree with that and I want to kind of give you my final question, which is a bit of a step back from the project. And this one's more around the bigger picture of XR, the metaverse, immersive experiences, and where it's all heading. Wonder if you could share maybe what your biggest hope is for this industry, and then also maybe your biggest fear.
1: Sure, yeah, Um, that's a great question. Uh, I, (laughs) I think my sort of, well, biggest fear, first let's cover off the dystopian nightmare um is that we <laughs> you know I, I mean i think we're all terrified of this right but of just the sort of metaverse or immersive experience you know i think probably more of the metaverse just becoming this sort of slightly dystopian mucky weird wild west where it's sort of unregulated and and you know it becomes a kind of spatial version of the dark web or something and it's just it's just horrific for the first few years uh, or becomes kind of you know horrifically corporate and completely restrained and just a bit sort of dry and unexpressive so I think that they're, they're my two fears of 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 the sort of I guess the metaverse or spatial internet or you know wherever this is going to go um and I hope it isn't the case and I, but I think in terms of the hope and again sort of I guess it's apologies to slightly link it back to the project but you know, we have, we've we've just made a sort of metaverse thing, right? I mean, it's spatial internet and you get to walk around a building with David Attenborough and you have this incredible experience going through all these different lands. And as you said, doing things that you could never normally do. And I, I'd i like to think having seen uh, kids, you know, come out of it completely lit up and going, oh my, I really want, you know, I need to do more and I want to recycle. And mum, can we plant stuff in the garden? And I want, you know, getting completely excited and and all the rest of it that gives me a lot of hope because i i hope that through doing positive meaningful purpose-driven um expressive immersive experiences we you know and again i don't want to sound too cheesy but i do i do think we can change people's perception i do think we can build empathy i do think that we can activate and motivate people a lot more to be better and do the right thing and make better decisions. And, you know, this experience has, I think, shown a few people, at least hopefully that, that, that could work. So, you know, it's it's given me an awful lot of hope that sort of, um, you know, all is not lost and and we're not going to slide into some sort of, you know, meaningless digital nightmare.
0: Yeah, well, the project absolutely illustrates that, and to me, it's really set a new standard, a new bar. So, um, can't wait to see what you do next, Jamie. And um, and for anyone who wants to get in touch with you or follow you on the socials, uh, where's the best place for them to do that?
1: Uh, I'm slightly, well, I'm trying to get better at the old socials. I'm trying to get better at but I mean, uh, I'm on, uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me, uh, you know, Jamie Davies and creative director factory 42 you can find me on there no problem uh, i am on instagram i think is mr jamdav i think i'm on instagram and twitter as mr jamdav uh, so if people want to find me on there and uh fire any extra questions or connect you know I'm, I'm happy to do that i'm not very good at posting pictures but i do occasionally do stories uh so um so yeah that's that's where people can find me
0: awesome well thank you so much jamie you are a treasure <laughs> Um, And thank you all so much for listening today and look forward to being with you again next month. Take care.